Hi, my name is Caroline, and I'm so glad that you're joining us on our Grace Journey podcast. At Grace Church, we are all about knowing God and reflecting His way. I hope this sermon will do just that by feeding your mind with the knowledge of God and engaging your heart to live a life reflecting His grace and truth. So I don't know what you spent your week doing, but I spent my week watching the weather, and I'm a little exhausted from it, frankly. I'm glad to think about something else, and I'm really glad to be together. As much as I wish this hurricane wasn't affecting us, and I don't think it will, but I'm really glad that it gave us a chance to come together in one service as a family. It's a unique thing for us, and so I'm, I'm actually glad we're all together. And as I was thinking about what I wanted to say this week, I found myself just thinking about contentment and that how do we find contentment? Where do we find contentment? And along those lines, I want to look a little bit today at our Hebrews passage. So if you want to look with me at the Hebrews uh, scripture, it's our second reading today. I'd love for you to do that. And I want to start before we get to that passage, actually, by just telling you two quick stories about contentment. The first one is about a couple, true story, who went to the president at Harvard University. And they wanted to give a donation. And so because the president had heard they wanted to give a donation and he suspected that it was going to be a sizable one, he took this appointment and they, they came and they sat with him. But the president of the university pretty much thought that he was better than this couple. And so as he talked with them, he treated them like that. He talked down to them because he was, of course, the president of Harvard, right? It didn't take long into the meeting before the wife turned to her husband and said, come on, Leland, I think there are better places that we can give our money to. And of course, Leland was Leland Stanford, which later became Stanford University. The moral of the story, though it might seem this way, is not be nice to strangers. That's not the point of the moral of the story. The the point of the story that I'm trying to make today is that Who has the real power in the situation? If you have the abilities, if you have the wealth, the money that is, you can tell anybody at any time, go fly a kite. You can walk away, do what you want. Another funny story that I uh, recently stumbled across that sort of said something similar was there was a day that uh, John D. Rockefeller asked his minister to come and visit him. And as the minister was driving down the lane to Rockefeller's house and he saw all these trees lining both sides, the minister mused to himself, my, my, this is what the Lord might have done if he had money. (laughs) The minister's not overwhelmed, I don't think, by Rockefeller's wealth. But it does speak to how we view resources and ability. We oftentimes think that money is more important than God. And when we hear these stories, of course those stories, they plant a little seed inside of us. Because we think that money means independence. Certainly this week as folks were rushing to the store to buy supplies, if they had more resources, they would spend them. And ultimately, if they could, they would just board up their house and go. Why? Because they had the financial means to do just that. And sometimes we think that independence means that we are more powerful than God himself. Even the way in which, and it, so you might fault us for believing that. I, I don't actually. Because I think so much in our culture is driving us to think that if we're independent, 
we're going to be okay. Matter of fact, most of our advertising that we see on a daily basis is just that. I read a report this week that we, we see on a yearly basis something close to 40,000 advertisements a year. 40,000. That's a stunning, stunning number. Think about what that also does to children, that, that number, 40,000. It's the same for them. They now say that children as young as 18 months recognize corporate brands. Wow. One of the first brands they recognize? Well, of course, the Golden Arches, right? You know, growing up, I remember how happy I was when we got to go to McDonald's because I got to have the best meal there, which, of course, is the Happy Meal, right? The meal that could make you happy. Advertisers have convinced me and many billions of children just like me that I have a golden arch shape inside my hole, inside my heart, and that my heart is restless until it finds its rest in the Happy Meal. <laughs> the problem is the Happy Meal, of course, wears off. It doesn't last. And so maybe you, like other children I know, have had that one Happy Meal, and they, they never have that experience about, remember when we had that one Happy Meal? What great joy I found there. No, it doesn't seem to happen. The only happiness that I think the Happy Meal actually brings is to Ronald McDonald himself. You ever notice his grin? He's really smiley. I think it's because he sold so many of those Happy Meals. And when we get older, I'd love to tell you that it changes, right? But it doesn't. Our Happy Meals, they just become more expensive, more sophisticated. They haven't changed at all. So today, as we talk about commitment... The question I'd love for you to ask yourself is, well, what's your happy meal today? It's probably not still the happy meal, but you probably have something that you think that if you could just get a hold of, that will make you content. That will bring you and make you whole. Maybe it's a discontentment with where you live. Maybe you think that your house is too small, too shabby. It's just too far from your work or from the things that you like to do. You believe that you'd be happier if you had an apartment or if you already have an apartment, that you'd have a townhouse. Or if you already have a townhouse, then of course you'd have your house. And if you have a house, then you need to be bigger, of course, in a better suburb. I'd love to say it's just houses, but we do the same thing with cars, don't we? That if we don't have any means of transportation, oh, how I wish I had a bike. Then you get that bike. And then what do you want? Car, of course, even if it's an old rust bucket. And then once you get that rust bucket, how do I upgrade this? How do I get something that's a little more dependable? Once you get that more dependable car, you, you think to yourself, you know what would really be nice is some leather seats. <laughs> Maybe with the AC that comes up underneath them. Yes, that's what I really want. So how do we become content? Content with what God has given us. Content with what God is doing in our lives. Because it's my belief that it's only through contentment that we actually find true freedom in our lives, real, authentic freedom. And that's where I think the book of Hebrews has so much to offer us. So let's look there very quickly. And as we're looking at the letter, the, this letter, chapter 13, um, I want to tell you that the author who wrote this to, uh, to these folks, probably in Ephesus, the church there was beginning to experience persecution. Christians were beginning not only to be picked on, but to be found the scapegoats for all the evils of their societies. Maybe you've encountered some of that today 
I don't know. But these folks were not only just being picked on, but they were being persecuted. They were being imprisoned. They were being jailed. And some were beginning to be even executed because they chose to follow Jesus Christ. And so the first verse here is so interesting. Let mutual love continue. Do not neglect to show hospitality to strangers, for by doing, uh, by doing that, some have entertained angels without knowing it. Which may seem like a nice verse, but it seems particularly odd when you realize how persecuted they were becoming when this author wrote this part of Scripture. Because what was happening was the authorities were beginning to send informants into the church. Informants who were coming into the church to find out who the leadership were so that they could arrest them, so that they could jail them, they could blame them for whatever, they could turn them in. And so if you know that there's someone in there who can actually get you arrested, the question is, are you interested in hospitality at all? No way. You would, in fact, stop gathering in your homes. You may stop even attending any church service at all because you don't want to get caught. You're afraid. Makes sense. I love what the writer of Hebrews says here, though. No matter what, do not neglect to show hospitality to those you don't know, to the strangers. People had been thrown in jail. And because people had been thrown in jail, the very next passage in Hebrews, the author says, Remember those who were in prison as though you were in prison with them. Those who were being tortured as though you yourselves were being tortured. And on top of that, he goes even further and he says, because there are some folks in prison, apparently what was happening in that church is some of the people had been in prison quite a while and their spouses began to shop around a little bit, began to get lonely. And so the writer says, let the marriage bed, let the marriage be held in honor of all and let the marriage bed be kept undefiled. For God will judge fornicators and adulterers. And finally... The author then says this, because persecution is financially crippling, you may be having a difficult time finding work, you won't be getting promoted, you won't have the money to buy the things that you need, and so he says, keep your lives free from the love of money. Be content with what you have. The folks there were scared. They were scared that they were going to be kicked out of their homes, that they were going to be arrested, that they were going to starve to death because they didn't have enough means. And right here, I think this is the secret to finding contentment. In all of these verses, we see the truth being teased out to us. And it's simply this. We, you and I, have the ability all on our own to be content. The Bible tells us that because God knows we can do it, he is calling us be content with his help. And the way to find that contentment is to get to the root of our issues, the root of our discontent. And I think the root of our discontent is one word, fear. Four-letter word. Starts with F, fear. To which Hebrews reminds us, God has said, to you, said, I will never leave you or forsake you. So we can say with confidence, the Lord is my helper. I will not be afraid. What can anyone do to me? We struggle with discontentment in this world, not just for things, but in our life. 
when we look at other people, when we look at our surroundings, when we look at folks in other parts of the country and think, why aren't they struggling with the weather that we're struggling with? We struggle with discontentment because we are afraid. We're afraid that we're suffering. And that suffering will be because we don't have enough money, stuff, protection, security. We won't have the ability to pay our rent or to replace the things that get damaged or whatever. And like a mushroom, our discontentment grows. And in that dark and dirty soil of fear, it just gets bigger and bigger. And maybe you feel that fear growing inside of you and you don't even know why. We fear that we can't provide, that we won't be able to take care of ourselves or the folks that we love. We fear that we're going to be left alone. That because we're left alone, we're going to suffer and be afraid. Which is why the Bible speaks to us. Speaks into that deep place of fear in us and says, you already have more than you need. Because you have God. Because you have the Father. That no matter what you face, no matter where you go, no matter who you're with, no matter what storms befall you, Jesus says he will never leave us or forsake us. You may not have everything you want, but you do have the Lord as your helper. You may not have everything you need. You may be without what you even need. But again, I remind you that you have the Lord who is your helper. So when you experience that anxiety, when fear comes on you in a present circumstance like right now or a long fear because you're just not sure how you're going to make it, how you're going to get to that next place that you think you need to get to, I want to remind you that God has said to you, I, will, I won't leave you. I won't forsake you. I will help you. Every time that this fear grips you, I want you to hear God asking you, who can you compare with me? That's the question that God's asking you. If you have me, you have the greatest treasure God is saying. So who can you compare? Is there a storm big enough that can take away your God? Every day we have this opportunity to decide whether you're going to listen to God, who has promised to be our helper, or we can listen to our screaming anxiety. We can listen to our bitter comparisons. We can listen to our frustrated sense of entitlement. You can listen to all that. Certainly, our culture wants you to. In other words, this contentment that I'm talking about, it's a choice, plain and simple. It's a daily choice. It's a choice about how you want to handle your fears, whatever your fears are. When you feel fear about things that you don't have or about your situation in life being out of control, you can give in to those fears and let them consume you. By the way, you won't sleep. Or you can choose to trust that God has promised to never quit on you. Sometimes I think as Christians, we deal with our fear by thinking, well, look, I'm, I'm a Christian, I'm a good person, I've done good things, I've prayed about it, God's going to, he's going to help me, he's going to keep bad things from happening to me. 
I would imagine that even right now, some folks are thinking, look, the hurricane has stayed off our coast because I prayed about it. To which I would remind you, didn't the people in the Bahamas pray too? They did. But God hasn't forgotten them either. He is with them. He hasn't forsaken them, even in the midst of their calamity. Though we may be avoiding some of that now, praise God. It's not because he's trying to make our lives better than their lives. We all matter to him. So believing that you will avoid certain troubles just because you're a Christian is no more than wishful thinking, honestly. Pretending that you won't face certain trials because you become a follower of Christ does not make your fear any better. So just don't believe that anymore. What does make our fears better, what does take away our fears, is knowing that God is going and wants to be with you. He wants to help you. No matter how deep your darkness is, no matter how bad the situation is, no matter how dark the sky gets, contentment is deciding that God is enough. Let me say that again. Contentment is deciding that God is enough and that you're not going to give in to fear because he wants to help you and that, in fact, God is more than you could ever want, more than you could ever need. So I want to wrap it up today with just a, a little story uh, that I think is, is so beautiful, and we have couples similar to this in our church today. This is about a couple who found contentment in their marriage, and they got to celebrate 80 years of marriage together. 80 years of marriage. Shocking, right? Not here at Grace, but I mean, last week we had a couple celebrating 65 years, pretty close to that. This couple's name, Ann and John Batar. When Anne was still a teenager, her dad had wanted to uh, uh, help her find uh, a good, faithful husband, so he set her up with somebody. He said, this is who I think you should marry. But Anne had already fallen in love with this guy named John. And so John and Anne, though they were just teenagers, decided to elope. They got as far as Harrelson, New York. And they got that far because that is as far as the money they had would take them. People told them that their marriage wasn't going to last. They, did, they weren't going to make it. I think 80 years proved those people wrong. <laughs> so as I was reading the story and I'm inspired by it, what I loved about it was the reporter asked them, well, what, what's brought you contentment? What's made you content in your marriage? And of course, John answered first and he said, compromise. You need to live within your means if you want to be content. And you need to, need to let your wife be the boss. And quickly countered by saying, we have no bosses, John. He said, yes, dear. <laughs> what I love about their story is they chose contentment time and time again. They chose to be content with each other, content in their life. Five children, 14 grandchildren, 16 great-grandchildren later. They continue to choose God's contentment. And we can too. We do not need to let fear take control of us. It shouldn't rob us of one of the best gifts that God wants to give you right now in this minute. And that is that God has not forgotten you or forsaken you. Let me pray for us. Father, we thank you for this reminder from your word. Not from me, but from the letter of Hebrews that tells us that we are not far from your thoughts. 
that no matter what happens in our life, no matter what uh, events befall us, you're looking out for us. Help us to trust in that and not turn to our fears. And when that happens, God, and that contentment comes, that comes only from you, help us to say thank you. To be grateful for this contentment that you are giving us. And Lord, I pray that you help us to choose that again today. In your name we pray. Amen. Thanks again for listening. To find out more about what's going on here at Grace Church, you can find us on Facebook, Instagram, our website, graceocala.org, or, of course, on our campus here in sunny Ocala, Florida. Go in peace.